0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, June 8th. Dinosaur fossils usually get the limelight in southeastern Utah, but our area also has a treasure trove of Jurassic-era mammals. Justin Higginbottom visits a quarry to speak with archaeologists excavating humans' earliest ancestors.
1: I'm driving down a dirt road near Cisco with Brian Davis. He's an archaeologist with the University of Louisville, and we're heading to his excavation site. For him, these dry hills and ridges of sandstone have been a jackpot.
2: Mammals are almost the most common uh, type of organism we're finding there, when that's unheard of.
1: We're on the Morrison Formation. It's an area of sedimentary rock that's provided scientists with the most dinosaur fossils in all of North America
2: the Jurassic period, which is when you know the Dinosaur National Monument, all the big charismatic dinosaurs, you know, when they were running around out here, um, mammals of that time worldwide are doing a lot of really interesting things.
1: And that's Davis's focus. Mammals from the Mesozoic era. It's a big chunk of time, between two hundred and twenty million years ago, to when the big asteroid hit sixty six million years ago the critters were probably rodent-like and about the size of squirrels or rats. While dodging large predators, they evolved those features humans and other modern mammals share.
2: My, my, really, my goal is to find things at the bottom of our lineage. You know, what the earliest uh, ancestors that gave rise to our specific line of the tree, what those mammals were like.
1: He says we have a pretty poor understanding of where our branch of the mammal line comes from. It took some work for him to find this place that may help provide an answer.
2: A lot of walking and driving horrible roads and walking and um, dragging my you know my my colleagues and buddies on death marches not finding stuff but we made it out here eventually
1: he found this site in 2015 it's called the cisco mammal quarry and he's been working it with colleagues ever since
2: i i I have every every expectation not even i'm beyond hope i have every expectation that what we're going to find is things that are going to move the ball downfield you know for capital s science
1: At the site, a few archaeologists are busy with the morning's work.
2: Hi, everybody.
1: They're sitting under an awning and breaking rocks with hammers. They're looking for black specks or smudges in the white rock. Those dark areas are bone.
2: What you got there? Yeah, something. See, again, it's just some some tiny little black streak. It's obviously different from the things around it, but even in magnification, it's hard to tell what it is.
1: If the sample looks promising, they bring it back to the lab and might give it a CT scan.
2: Finding it is, is, a, is a lucky moment, but then it's just a lot of this sort of work. It's fighting wind and sun and cedar gnats.
1: Yesterday, they had one of those lucky moments. David says it's their best find yet. This animal that we found yesterday has a good chunk of the skeleton. That's Guillermo Roger, also of the University of Louisville. The three inch pile of bones could be nearly a complete specimen. It's kind of a rosetta stone that puts several things that we had isolated before. Now you know how to piece it together and it will help. It
0: will help in many, many ways. Yes, it's very nice.
1: Davis says his work with mammals often rides dinosaurs, coattails or just tails in funding and museum interest. But he says his work offers something unique.
2: We have the ability to tell a narrative that is much more obviously directed to like us as a species, um, that dinosaur paleontologists can't. Like they can say something amazing about the past, um, but we can say amazing things about like where we came from, which is a, a much more um, kind of intellectually satisfying story.
1: Out here, adding to that story could be just a rock away. Justin Higginbottom, you News.
0: Lawmakers in Washington, D.C. discussed the western water crisis on Tuesday. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, a Senate subcommittee heard about the wide-ranging impacts of
1: drought. Experts on forests and farmland testified about the impacts of climate change across the West, calling on senators to allocate federal money for programs that help suppress wildfire and protect agriculture. Andy Mueller is with the Colorado River District. The
2: plentiful water resources of the past are no longer physically or legally available for many of our ag producers. Families who have been involved in ranching for multiple generations are being forced to sell their cattle and confront tremendously uncertain futures.
1: Mueller said federal help is needed to boost drought resiliency and make agriculture more efficient. About 80 percent of the Colorado River's water is used for agriculture and drought is straining supplies. I'm Alex Hager.
0: Some Western states will quickly restrict abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. The Mountain West News Bureau's Robin Vincent says the fight to preserve
3: abortion access in our region reflects a divided nation. When Julie Burkhart learned about the Supreme Court draft opinion that would end abortion protections, she let out an involuntary shriek from her airplane seat.
0: Because it felt like such
3: a gut punch. And then after getting into the opinion and reading that, it was chilling. Burkhart is no stranger to the abortion debate. She's been working to expand reproductive rights for years. Her mentor was Dr. George Tiller. The abortion provider in Wichita, Kansas was murdered by an anti-abortion extreme in 2009. That's when it became
0: apparent that we needed to
3: have access to people in places that, you know, we call the abortion desert. Burkhart went on to reestablish abortion care at Tiller's Wichita Clinic in 2013. Today, she's focused on Wyoming's abortion desert where there's just one abortion provider. Her nonprofit, Wellspring Health Access, is opening the state's only surgical abortion clinic in Casper. And she's moving forward despite protesters outside the clinic each week and despite a new state trigger law. It will outlaw most abortions if Roe is overturned. The law's sponsor, Representative Rachel Rodriguez-Williams, recently spoke to KGWN in Cheyenne. It's an opportunity for women to work with life-affirming centers, to work with... uh resources in their community to help remove barriers so that they can carry to term. Burkhart, for her part, points out people of color and low-income folks are disproportionately affected by abortion deserts. In Wyoming, that includes indigenous women who face a maternal death rate more than twice that of white women. If we care about children, then don't we also want to care about the parent. She and a group of Wyoming advocates chose Casper for the clinic's central location, but they plan to offer mobile services for, say, natives living on the Wind River Reservation 100 miles away. Burkhardt herself is a resident of Colorado, which recently codified the right to an abortion. Now, advocates anticipate the state will shoulder a disproportionate burden due to trigger laws in nearby Wyoming, Utah, and Idaho.
1: We began seeing a lot more patients last fall when the Texas law went into effect, and we remain at basically double the number of patients we were seeing before.
3: That's Dr. Warren Hearn. In 1973, when the Roe decision legalized abortion, he helped launch a nonprofit abortion clinic in Boulder. Today, he describes his private practice as an abortion intensive care unit.
1: We see patients from all over the country, and we have for decades, who can't be seen other places because the the situations are more complicated.
3: Hearn says patients sometimes come in sobbing because of fetal abnormalities, conditions diagnosed in the second trimester that jeopardize the health of the mother or baby. The 83-year-old physician sees his work as a calling. He remembers his days as a Peace Corps physician in Brazil.
1: And there were two wards full of women suffering from illegal abortion. 50% of the women in the abortion wards died because they were too sick to save by the time they got to the hospital.
3: Hearn worries there will be more illegal procedures in the West's abortion deserts if Roe is overturned. This notion weighs heavy on Jenica Haywood. The Utah resident had an abortion in 2015. Her state has a trigger law that will outlaw abortion if Roe is overturned. It was a really a difficult decision. I've always wanted to be a mom. Haywood was 20 and in an abusive relationship. She says a lack of education made it hard for her to discern the sexual coercion she experienced. Because there is little to no sex education here in Utah, coercion is not necessarily something that is understood, explained, covered. Today, Haywood uses the word gratitude a lot. Gratitude that she could access a safe abortion through Planned Parenthood. Gratitude that she didn't have a child with an abusive partner. Back in Wyoming, Julie Burkhart has been assessing recent vandalism at the abortion clinic. Someone set fire to the building, which will delay this month's opening. But Burkhart's moving forward regardless of that and the impending Supreme Court decision. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Robin Vincent. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, June 8th.
0: Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News at anytime online at KZMU.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.